welcome back to season two of the Cardinals Off Day podcast. We are excited to be back with you after a full year of doing the show. I'm excited to uh, be doing a second year. You may have heard some uh, new theme music there. Uh, thank you to Devant for that new theme music uh, for our show. I uh, also wanted to give a shout out to our friend Dan, who's going to be helping us out on social media now. So we're hoping to be even more active at, at Cardinals Off Day on Twitter. So we got all kinds of exciting new things, but the uh, same old thing, which is still just as exciting. Uh, my good friend Ben Humphrey here joining me. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Mr. Godar. Very excited for the start of the baseball season uh, here in a few days. And uh, excited for a second season of Cardinals baseball. Uh, before we get started with our season preview for the St. Louis Cardinals for the 2022 season, uh, we wanted to uh, take a moment to give a shout out. Uh, last season, we had someone ask us uh, who our best fan was, and we narrowly uh, considered the folks that we interact with on social media. Um, but I think it's probably fair to say. Uh, Mr. Godar, that our biggest fans are uh, Franklin and Lane, our sons. And so we wanted to say hello to Franklin and Lane, uh, who are also big Cardinals fans. Absolutely, they are. And they uh, they have a little uh, surprise at the, uh, the end of the episode after the music as well. So feel free to stick around for that as well. Um, so today, um, uh, with it being the last off day before the season starts, uh, we are going to do an MLB preview, um, so uh, pre- uh, preview the major league team, I should say. So we'll be touching on a number of things related to the Cardinals today. But before we do that, um, Ben, we also have a sponsor today. So, Yes, we're very excited. This is our first sponsor in the history of the Cardinals Off Day podcast. Believe it or not, we just do this for free most of the time. Uh, but we had this company contact us. Uh, and we're very pleased to have our first sponsor. Uh, so, Mr. Godard, take it away. Yeah, so I will read the ad. So, this episode of Cardinals Off Day is brought to you by Tony LaRusse's Ass Frosting. Look, whatever industry you're in, staffing is hard. You do your best to screen and hire the best candidates, but sometimes things go wrong because of either philosophical differences or a toxic work environment, depending on who you ask. When it comes time to make a personnel change, you may frost somebody's ass. Do it with Tony LaRusse's ass frosting. Available in fine retailers nationwide, including Whole Foods. Walk into your nearest Whole Foods and tell them you're looking for Tony LaRusse's ass frosting. All right. And thank you for the for the sponsorship. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor an upcoming episode, uh, you can shoot us an email at uh, cardinalsoffday at substack.com uh, or uh, tweet at us at, uh, at cardinalsoffday. And it goes without saying that we have very high standards here at Cardinals Off Day. We don't just accept sponsorships from any old company, and we're very pleased about our partnership with Tony LaRusse's Ass Frosting. A hundred percent. You know, we, we take our, uh, our mission statement very seriously here, and uh, any sponsor that comes aboard, Ben and I will meet and say, does this meet our mission? And if it doesn't meet our mission, we will say, are they paying us enough money that we will read it even though it doesn't meet our mission? So... Um, Anyway, luckily, part of our mission statement does involve, uh, you know, financial benefit for ourselves. So that, that is still serving our mission. Uh, 
Without further ado, let's jump into the season preview. And for those of you who have been with us since last season, um, last year for the season preview, um, you know, we kind of went through position players and pitchers um, and took a couple different tactics there. And when it came to position players, um, Ben and I had a had a war draft. So we we drafted players based on what we thought their war would be for the season. And we're going to do that again this year. But Ben, real quick, we never recapped last year's uh, war draft. So I added that up. Uh, have you, you're not aware of how we did, are you? Um, I am not. I have been waiting anxiously uh, for the episode here today because you had said that you were going to score it. Uh, so I'm going to be learning along with our listeners how, how well or poorly we did in last year's draft. Absolutely. And I would encourage listeners to use how we did last year to determine, do you want to continue listening to us? You know, um, uh, so without further ado, last year we, we flipped a coin to determine who would, uh, who would pick first. I won the coin flip. Uh, I picked Nolan Arenado with the first pick. Ben, you took Dylan Carlson with the next pick. Uh, next, I picked uh, Paul DeYoung with the next pick. Uh, then you went with Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, I went with Harrison Bader. Uh, you went with uh, Tommy Edmond, who I think longtime listeners of the show will be a little surprised to hear. Uh, then I went with uh, Yadier Molina. And then your final pick, do you remember who your final pick was? I believe it was Justin Williams. It was, in fact, Justin Williams. Um, and then actually, <laughs> and by the way, we didn't police ourselves real, last year, real well last year. Then I picked Tyler O'Neill, but then we ended it. And that actually gave me one more pick than you. So I, <laughs> I've eliminated Tyler O'Neill, who actually had the highest wins above replacement on the team last year. So because it was, a, it was an illegal additional pick by me. So uh, based on those, I ended up with an, and I'm going with Fangraph's uh, war here, by the way, for anyone who's scoring along at home. I ended up with uh, an even 10 wins above replacement um, from uh, Arenado, DeYoung, Bader, Molina, and Molina. Uh, ben, uh, you had exactly 10 wins above replacement from your first three picks, Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, and Tommy Edmond. So we would have tied, but <laughs> Justin Williams uh, had a negative 0.8 wins above replacement. So ah. he, uh, yeah, he hurt you there at the end. So I, I did come out ahead. 10 to 9.2, and uh, neither one of us picked the player who had the highest wins of a replacement on the team last year. But it was interesting to look back and see, and, and I don't think it was unreasonable. If you you know go way back, you know Tyler O'Neill was still kind of in that will he or won't he camp with the Cardinals outfielders. So going back and checking that out, it was an interesting reminder of just how much the team can evolve and change in just one year. And, and I think it's also really interesting about how I overestimated Tommy Edmond. This is a guy who had who tied for the fifth most plate appearances in all of Major League Baseball, uh, and then he placed fifth on the Cardinals in wins above replacement with two point three, which is about average. And you know, wins above replacement is a counting stat, so it's pretty fascinating to me that uh, he needed all of those plate appearances just yeah. to be about average. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. But he still had more than Paul DeYoung, who I took with my second pick when Paul Goldschmidt was <laughs> and Tyler O'Neill were still on the board. Uh, anyway, we don't want to focus too much on last year because I know people want to hear about this season. Uh, ben, since I picked first last year, I think it would only be fair to give you the, the first pick this year. So who, who would you take? 
Um, my number one pick this year um, is going to be uh, Dylan Carlson. Uh, I was really high on him. Obviously, I picked him second last year. I was I was really high on him. I thought, and he did. He had a he had a good year. Um, but it was, you know, for a rookie in particular, and I hate to, or essentially a rookie, um, and I hate to to minimize it with kind of that qualification. Um, but this year, you know, I feel like he is poised for a breakout, um, and I found my my myself agreeing with a lot of what Keith Law wrote at the Athletic when he was saying that Dylan Carlson was one of the prime breakout candidates in Major League Baseball this year. And, uh, and as I was preparing for the draft, I, I was thinking, you know, who do I think is going to lead the team and wins above replacement? So I could be, I could be strategic about it and, and see if I can swipe him with the second or third pick. Um, but, uh, instead I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to grab him at the top. Uh, Dylan Carlson is my number one draft pick. Nice. Nice. Well, that's an interesting choice. That's not, uh, I, I think that's a good choice. That's not who I would have necessarily expected you to go with. And, and I, I likewise, I'm very high on Dylan Carlson and, you know, as good as, as Tyler O'Neill uh, was last year, when you keep in mind Dylan Carlson's age, I, I still really expect Dylan Carlson to ultimately be a, a more productive player in his career than, uh, you know, than O'Neill. Um, you know, whether we get there this year or not, I guess we'll see. I certainly hope we do. So, well, I tell you, with the second pick, I'm going to go back to the well, and I feel like I'm taking the chalk here, and I don't know how interesting it is, but uh, I'm going to take Nolan Arenado uh, once again. And, uh, you know, Nolan Arenado is, uh, you know, he's, he's into the back half of his career. So he's at that point where I think, uh, realistically, you should, you should expect, uh, you know, d- declines to be happening. You wouldn't expect precipitous declines, but, you know, he's... He, you wouldn't expect him to eclipse his, his best seasons previously, but you know, he came over to St. Louis last year. There were, of course, there's always some questions when somebody changes teams and, and doubly so when they're leaving Colorado. Right. But uh, you know, Dylan or excuse me, Nolan Arenado came to St. Louis and had a Nolan Arenado season and really performed. um, I I think, uh, I mean, Ben, wouldn't you say his season last year was pretty much exactly what you would have expected from, from Nolan Arenado? Yeah, he he had um you know maybe some more walks um but other than that you know he he right. was pretty much Nolan Arenado but not in Coors playing at the offense killing home stadium of Bush 3. So yep. yeah, I mean I I think that's about uh, what we had a right to expect going in. Yeah. And, and just for, you know, purely strategic uh, reasons, uh, you know, the other reasons I would take Arenado so high, I, I don't think Nolan Arenado has the highest ceiling of any player on the Cardinals, even any player that's still on the board. But I think his floor is probably the highest of any player on this team because he, uh, you know, even if his hitting takes a step back, uh, you know, you expect that superlative defense to be there. And because wins above replacement, you know, takes into account offense or, you know, hitting base running and defense. Uh, you know, I expect that again, even if he doesn't leave the team, I think Nolan Arenado is going to give me a really solid base there. And so he is my, uh, my number one pick. 
All right, that uh, leaves me now with uh, the second round uh, of our draft, and I will start off the second round. Uh, I am going to take Paul Goldschmidt uh, because I, I thought he had a really great year last year. Uh, you'll also remember at the start of the season, uh, he was making excellent contact but was not having good luck. Um, and so uh, even in spite of that, he hit about as well as Tyler O'Neill last year, uh, except he had a higher walk rate and about two-thirds of the strikeout rate. And so even though Goldschmidt is uh, getting up there in uh, age, uh, definitely on the downswing of his career in terms of the age, the traditional aging curve uh, where you look at him. I mean, I just look at, at the way he swung the bat this year, um, and I, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, in 2022. And I also think he's going to bat second a lot. That's going to put him uh, for the second year in a row, probably in the top 10 in Major League Baseball in terms of plate appearances. And so that's going to give him an opportunity to accumulate a lot of wins above replacement. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. And again, listening back to our, our season preview from last year, if, if folks remember, you know, in 2019, you know, Goldie in his first year in St. Louis, he had a bit of a you know, I mean, he didn't have a bad season by any means, but it was, you know, clearly down from, you know, kind of where he had been in Arizona. And I think, uh, and, and then in 2020, uh, the, the abbreviated 2020 season, he actually had a fantastic season. I believe his WRC plus was like 146 or something like that. But Ben, you and I at the start of last season kind of said, well, that's kind of an aberration of the short season, which I think was a completely reasonable thing for us to think. I mean, we still obviously thought he was a very good player, but expected more of that kind of 2019 decline we'd seen to continue. But last season was was, again, another really, really strong season. So I think the um, you know, I think the the Paul Goldschmidt decline may have been uh, greatly exaggerated. Um, so, or you know, at least we, we, we it was we thought it was coming earlier than it actually is. And so, I, I think that's a great pick. That's why I would have taken there as well. Uh, with my second pick, I'm going to go with the you know I went with the chalk in the for, for my first pick. Um, for my next pick, I'm going to go with Tyler O'Neill, uh, and I feel like Tyler O'Neill I think has the highest ceiling of any player on this team, but I do think he has a, a fairly low floor as well. I mean, last year was phenomenal and I would really love to think that last season kind of set somewhat of a baseline for him going forward, but I don't think we can rule out the possibility that last year was, was potentially a little bit of a one-year aberration. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I hope to see him, you know, continue what he did last year. Um, just like uh, Arenado, um, he, O'Neal is helped by the fact that he plays phenomenal defense and, uh, he's won two gold gloves, but the, the fielding metrics also support what a great fielder he is. And so even though he's playing left field, which is not a, a particularly valuable defensive position, he's adding a, a surprising amount of defensive value there. Um, he's, he's a very good base runner as well. Um, and obviously he has the, the tremendous power and the approach has been better, but you still have the the real risk of, you know, the strikeouts just kind of mushrooming. And so I think that's where he could potentially go south this season. But um, I'm optimistic and I, and I don't think that will happen, but I, I recognize that's a possibility. So 
Um, so that's that's why I would take uh, Tyler O'Neill there with my second pick. Uh, then that brings us to the third round, and I will lead things off again. And I am going to go with Harrison Bader. Uh, I think his elite defense gives him a higher uh, floor. And, you know, even if he's a league average type player, uh, if he is healthy, which with his style of play is certainly not a given, um, but if he's able to put together a full season with his level of defense, uh, and, uh, even if he's an average bat, a league average bat or a little bit better, you know, that's, that's a solid player to have. And, and he's going to be my uh, pick to start off, uh, this round. No, that's a, that's a very good pick. That's a very good pick. Well, with my third round pick, I'm going to take uh, the, the player that I took with my second round pick last year who disappointed uh, everyone, but I'm still a believer in, and that is Paul DeYoung. Um, Paul DeYoung, uh, he's, he's honestly, he's a player that kind of fascinates me. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of sort of player types that you see a kind of player and it's like, oh, it's, it's that kind of guy, you know, oh, it's the, you know, power hitting, striking out left fielder or oh it's the you know speed slap hitting center fielder that kind of thing you know Paul DeYoung is a little bit of an odd duck uh you know he uh I don't I know coming up through the minors I never expected him to uh kind of blossom into what he's become I thought he was going to be more of a utility player profile but he you know put together just this really solid kind of power approach um, and, and got a lot of value there. And then beyond that, defensively, again, I didn't think this is a guy that's a long-term shortstop, but you know, he really is. And the metrics love him. He doesn't look it, you know, he's not super athletic and he doesn't make the kind of highlight reel plays, but Paul, I mean, tell me how, have you ever seen Paul DeYoung muff a ball that he, you know, that, that he should get to. And, and I'll answer for you. You have not because he never does it. You know, he, his range may not be the best, but everything he can get to, he gets to and he fields it cleanly. So uh, just like last year, I, I feel like the, what Paul DeYoung has going for him is, again, despite not maybe looking like the most athletic guy, not maybe making the highlight reel plays, uh, he actually provides a really solid amount of defensive value at you know the most premium infield position. So you know he's going to bank a lot of, of value there. Now, last year... His, his offense was uh, a problem. Um, his, you know, it fell off, you know, significantly from, from where it had been. Um, and, you know, I hate to say, I hate to fall into the he's had a good spring thing, especially in this shortened spring, because it really doesn't mean anything. But I am heartened by uh, his production, but also just kind of what we've seen of his approach at the plate. And really last year, some of the underlying metrics too suggested that, um, you know, he was better than kind of the results showed. So I'm I'm banking on there being uh, somewhat of an offensive rebound there as well. So uh, I would that's why I'm going to take uh, Paul DeYoung with my my third pick there. So Ben, we've got one more pick in this uh, wins above replacement draft. Where are you where are you going with your final pick? Well, before I get to that, you know, I think some of the off season reporting was was pretty interesting about. Uh, you know, DeYoung going and working on retooling his swing and, and that type of thing uh, during the lockout uh, at, you know, obviously away from the team, but, you know, using some of the 
the technology to retool his swing. And so if you're, if you're someone who's down on DeYoung and you feel like he, you know, had to change his approach, uh, after last season, which also it should be noted, you know, he had injury issues and, and, you know, how that impacted his performance is difficult to say if, if you're like us and, and other fans on the outside looking in. And so, I think it's going to be really interesting, uh, especially with the way he's been using the whole field in spring training, um, to see what he looks like in the regular season. And I, I think that's a, a really interesting pick, uh, and I'm fascinated to see how that goes. Um, but that takes us also to the uh, next round of our draft, um, and uh it has me uh, really torn on where to go. Uh, and since you took Paul DeYoung, uh, I am going to take Edmundo Sosa. Uh, I'm going to try Ooh. and box you in on the wins above <laughs> replacement draft. So if Paul DeYoung fails, uh, or, you know, maybe if Tommy Edmund fails, right? Like how, right. how they divvy yeah. up plate appearances, who knows? Uh, or heaven forbid there's an injury. Um, you know, I think Sosa is going to be the guy who's given the first crack uh, in, in any of those uh, occurrences. And so uh, I am going to go with him uh, with my pick. Cause uh, last year I kind of had, I felt last year on the podcast around this time, I kind of went out of my way to stick up for him as a utility guy. <laughs> Cause everyone, it felt like, in the social media sphere was being really negative about him based on his spring training performance and, you know, his defensive versatility and skill and base running skills were the reason I went to bat for him. And I think here this year uh, with a wins above replacement draft, they give him a very solid floor. Uh, I don't expect him to hit as well as he did last year for the Cardinals. Um, but I don't expect him to be terrible at the plate. Um, so I think, uh, he's a pretty solid pick at this point in the draft because I feel like he is option. He is potentially option B at multiple positions for this team. Um, and therefore he could accumulate uh, quite a few wins uh, over the course of the season. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's an interesting pick. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, and you know, Sosa is a guy who I'm just I'm not a big believer in. I, I definitely believe in him as a as a utility guy off the bench. I, I certainly think he's you know he's good enough for that, and um, I, I like him as a as kind of a, a personality. And I do feel like it seems like he he brings something to the team there. Um, for me, it was it was more just uh, I, I uh, it, it was hard for me to really pinpoint you know what is his what is his offensive profile and kind of what is his offensive value? And, um, you know, it just looked more kind of luck driven to me a bit last year. Um, you know, the success that he had. So it's, it's, it's harder for me to envision, you know, him, you know, replicating that or, or building on that this year. But, uh, I, I would love it. I would love it if he did. And, uh, you know, if he plays well enough that, you know, he, he can play himself into one of those middle infield roles. Um, I think that's, I mean, that'd be fantastic, obviously. The, you know, the more guys we have competing and playing better, 
the, the better. So, so Ben, you've left me with the final choice there. And uh, I, I've got to be honest, I think it's got to come down to a second baseman uh, in terms of who we have left. Uh, we haven't taken a catcher either, but I, I just, I, I really expect Yachty's numbers to kind of continue to slide. And also all indications, you know, and again, we'll see how it plays out are that his playing time might be reduced as well. I mean, they've, I think they've been, you know, intending to do that since, you know, about 2015. So we'll see if it materializes, but um, I kind of expect that it will. So I expect, you know, regardless of sort of how Yachty's numbers are, his playing time split with Tisner to, you know, kind of cut the value there. So to me, that leaves me with a choice of Tommy Edmond or Nolan Gorman. I think it would be more interesting if I picked Nolan Gorman and, uh, you know, talked about all the, the positives for him. But I'm going to be honest with folks, for 2022, I think I'm going to have to go with Tommy Edmond. Um, because, you know, first of all, Tommy Edmond is starting the season with the job. We know, you know, we know that. Um, I think that the Cardinals are going to move Gorman up as soon as they feel like he will be an upgrade. Um, And, you know, so who knows how far into the season that is. And when they move him up, I think they are going to want him to play regularly and play regularly at second base. So I think Edmund is, is very much at risk of losing his kind of position there. There was some comments today that John Denton made uh, that, you know, maybe internally the team is already a little concerned about kind of uh, just, uh, you know, where Edmund's at right now. And obviously he had a very, very poor spring, but all of that said, and obviously Ben and I have had, you know, kind of shared some frustrations with, you know, the, not Tommy Edmund as a player necessarily, but just the fact that the, you know, the previous manager insisted on batting him lead off and running him out there every single day when his, his, you know, profile didn't really support that. All that being said, you know, you know, Tommy Edmond did still produce positive value last year. He was a 2.3 wins above replacement player last year. Ben pointed out, uh, you know, very importantly that uh, his tremendous number of plate appearances uh, certainly helped, you know, cushion that. But, you know, he still produced positive offensive value. He's a very, very good defender and he's an excellent base runner. So for those reasons, I think there's enough value there. I think he's going to be in that starting role longer this season. So I think I would put my money on Edmund outproducing Nolan Gorman this season, but this is the last year that I would I would bet that's the case. And I think this is the the season that we see the the baton pass there at second base. Uh, what, ben, what do you think about that second base situation? Uh, it's very difficult, uh, especially also with Donovan potentially in the picture, and that's also you know yeah. the issue with Sosa is how are they going to divvy up those middle infield uh, plate appearances and how are they going to use the roster in that regard? And so, you know, the middle infield is going to be very difficult uh, to project. Um, yeah. In this year, and I think it's probably also going to be difficult next year because we're going to have pretty much the same guys involved in the log jam. And it feels a little bit like, you know, the outfield a couple years ago where they had a handful of guys knocking on the door ready to get their opportunity and they had to clear the log jam. And it looked like maybe they chose the wrong guys 
you know, when Randy Rosarena went to Tampa and was very good, you know, they were left with Dexter Fowler uh, blocking some guys. They got rid of Tommy Pham, you know, and, and all of that was to kind of clear playing time for Harrison Baylor and, or Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. And so the middle infield to me feels a lot like the outfield, you know, a couple years ago in terms of something's got to give and what yeah. are they going to do? And that's why there's a part of me that kind of wondered if maybe Tommy Edmond might be on the trading block just because they can approximate his value. Um, But, you know, he's coming off like an okay season, nothing to write home about. And, you know, he's a switch hitter who doesn't really switch hit. So what's his, his value really? And I think you and I, you know, people like to give us a hard time about uh, what we think about Tommy Edmund, um, and particularly me, uh, but we've said all along, we don't think he's a leadoff hitter. He should not bat leadoff. Well, it looks now like Ollie Marmol will not be batting him leadoff uh, against righties. We've said he's 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 okay. He's probably even a good leadoff hitter uh, against left-handed uh, pitchers. So we'll see if he gets that opportunity. And then we've also said we feel like, you know, he maybe should not be, have a dedicated position and is probably a best suited for a utility role because he's such a good defender at multiple positions. And it, it yeah. seems like, you know, he might be getting that opportunity uh, also, uh, depending on, on how things go. So uh, it will be interesting to see what happens uh, with the middle infield. Uh, one thing that I found interesting about our draft, um, and I wasn't sure how far we were going to go, and I I probably reached on Sosa, but I just wanted to have the person I think is most likely to step in at shortstop if things go mm-hmm. sideways for DeYoung. Uh, but what about Dickerson? Um, you know, he do you think he's a, a good bet to get a, a lion's share of the plate appearances at designated hitter this year? Or do you think Pujols is going to get maybe more plate appearances as a designated hitter than he should? Well, I hope that Pujols does not get more plate appearances than he should because, and, and again, we talked about this in previous shows, I'm, I'm really excited that they acquired Pujols. And I think as a uh, right-handed side of a designated hitter platoon. I think he's an excellent addition, but you know, if he's going to, you know, get a lot of at bats against right-handed pitching, I think his numbers over the last few seasons tell you that's, that that's not good. And so I hope that doesn't happen. Um, you could certainly imagine it happening, um, you know, just given obviously who he is and, you know, especially if he had a hot start, Um, you know, and maybe Dickerson didn't or something like that. But, um, you know, I think a lot of what's going to happen this season is going to be that, um, you know, the front office is hoping that Ali Marmol is going to make the kind of decisions where he doesn't, he's not susceptible to that kind of thing. And, um, you know, Mike Matheny was very much susceptible to that, all that kind of thing and and all other manner of nonsense, you know, and Mike Schilt was a, a, a vast improvement over Mike Matheny, but I think some of the frustration was that, you know, he wasn't enough of an improvement and you could see him, he still would have his, uh, his Mike's guys, you know, and, and Tommy Evan, of course, being the, you know, the, the top of the list there. So, 
Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And I did consider Dickerson. Um, the, the other thing I think with Dickerson is that if one of the corner outfielders goes down, I think Dickerson probably plays a fair amount in the field as well. And, you know, could, you know, I mean, Dickerson could, you know, could be a, basically a full-time player, you know, if they needed a corner in, uh, outfielder. So, you know, he could, he, he maybe has that path to playing time, but, um, you know, I think that they, they primarily want to use him in that platoon spot. So even though he's going to be the, the heavier side of the platoon, I just thought that the fact that he's platooning might hold his value down. I don't know. What, what do you think, Ben? I, with Dickerson and Lars Newtbar, um, you know, I'm just not sure who gets the most plate appearances where out of those two. And so I shied away from either one of them in this draft because, you know, frankly, it's just, it's difficult to see what the team's plan is there. Like, you know, I, I think Dickerson as the DH makes sense, but I think they want Lars Newtbar to get plate appearances. And, you know, frankly, most starters in major league baseball are right-handed the Cardinals are very right-handed. You know, Bader and O'Neill. Right. if you're going to sit them, you definitely want to sit those two guys against a righty. And, you know, I'm interested to see how much they have uh, Newt Barr play uh, in center field this year. And so, you know, it is... Or if they move Carlson to center and, and play him in a corner... And so I'm I'm very interested to see what the the divvying up of playing time between Newt Barr and Dickerson is this year, and you know because it it feels to me almost like Dickerson could be you know more slotted for DH and then the the late inning pinch hitter role, and if he's doing that, does that free up? Uh, Newt Bar to get more plate appearances as a starter, either at DH or in the outfield. And I'm just not sure what their plan is with those two moving forward. And so I shied away from them in the draft. Um, yeah. I, I, see, I, I have the sense that they're not that high on Newt Bar. And, and I'll be honest, I, I feel like, you know, the, the Cardinals, their prospects, they, they kind of slot them into two camps, Fabergé eggs and not Fabergé eggs. And Lars Newbar is one of their not Fabergé eggs. And that doesn't mean that they don't, um, you know, they don't believe in him. And obviously he's going to have an opportunity. But, you know, the thing you see, you know, the Fabergé egg guys, frankly, are, you know, Gorman and Liberator primarily, I think, of the guys who are at AAA. And Ivan Herrera is there as well. And the, the distinction is those guys are not going to be on the major league roster until they're committed to essentially giving them a starting job and having them play every single day, you know, and uh, the guys who, who aren't in that Fabergé egg category, they'll bring them up and let them, you know, sit on the bench and just kind of, you know, let's see what happens. And that's very much what they've done with Newt Bar. So, you know, I agree with you and I, I'm intrigued by Newt Bar. And I think, you know, if Newt Bar gets a shot, I think, you know, yeah, he could, he could do some, interesting things, but, but it's going to require injury or it's going to require something else. And I don't think they care if he's just going to kind of, you know, sit there on the you know end of the bench and, you know, get a handful of pinch hitting appearances and maybe, you know, give an outfielder a day of rest each week. So, uh, 
anyway, that, that's that's my read on what they're going to do with him. So I just don't know that he's going to get that much opportunity. But I am very interested to see what he does with whatever opportunity he does get. Do you think that Marmol, I guess when I look at the the roster that they have constructed and you look at Sosa, who, you know, by the kind of meritocracy of Major League Baseball, showed he could start and bring energy in the middle of a postseason run, you know, for a team. And and Newbar to an extent too. And, you know, both of those guys profile, they don't strike out a heck of a lot. They're good bat to ball guys. Newbar also has had pretty good pitch selection throughout his career. You know, to me he seems to have a more mature plate appearance than a lot of guys with his major league experience when they uh or plate approach, excuse me, uh, when they make their major league debut. And so I'm interested to see with, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about, and and we talked about it a lot last year, is Mike Schilt has guys and that is their role. You know, Mm -hmm. Tommy Edmond is the second baseman. You know, uh, Paul DeYoung was the shortstop until Sosa was the shortstop. And, you know, he was very much a, you know, you are this, you are that, and that is what you're going to do. And I'm interested to see, because the backdrop of, of Schultz's dismissal was it sure seemed like the front office wanted him to be more flexible. And, you know, people kind of use the term load management as a pejorative to make jokes on social media. Uh, but in this day and age, when guys are no longer taking performance-enhancing drugs, I think it makes sense. And it's also something, by the way, that Tony Larusa has done throughout his career. Yeah. You know, he has, you know, he has tried to keep his bench players uh, engaged in the season and keep them sharp in case he has to call on them every day because of an injury. And he has also tried to get his everyday player day, players' days off to keep them fresh throughout the season. And so they are ready to go uh, in October. And I'm really interested to see what approach Marmol takes. Is he going to be more like Schild? Is he going to be more like Larusa? Is he going to be more like Dave Roberts and, and Tony Larusa, where he's you know, leveraging matchups and getting guys' days off and kind of driving up the bench players plate appearance totals and maybe driving down the guys you think of the the plate appearance totals of the guys you think of as everyday players or regulars. And so, you know, that's a big question mark going into this season. Yeah. Well, and just to throw in there, uh, you mentioned how guys aren't taking performance enhancing drugs anymore, but uh, Jose Rondon is an exception to that. Uh, Last year's uh, St. Louis Cardinal, who at this time people were uh, yelling at Twitter and even yelling at us that he obviously should have made the team instead of Edmundo Sosa. <laughs> he was just suspended 80 games for a PED uh, use. It, it uh, uh, made crystal clear uh, why they cut him loose, which I think a lot of people found curious <laughs> last year. And it yeah. turned out, oh, hey, uh, he tested positive for really basic steroid, and they just couldn't release that information because of the owner's lockout of the players. Right, right. Yeah, he tested positive for like Jose Canseco steroids. 
Like it was like it said steroids on the outside of the package that they mailed to the house. Um, but uh, no, to, I mean, to your point, um, you know, Ben, I think one of the and you mentioned it there and you've mentioned it before previously, I, I think an interesting point that you've brought up is this idea that, you know, this Cardinals bench is built to play matchups in the late innings more so than they have been in recent years. And so I hope that happens. And so to me, that's where I, I see uh, a new bar, you know, being used a lot. And, and I, it just, as I imagine, you know, teams that they're playing, you know, going to those, you know, the bullpen, you know, in the, you know, fifth inning as, as, basically everybody's going to do now and, you know, lining up, uh, you know, a stable of a few pretty nasty relievers, you know, from both the right and left sides, you know, this Cardinals bench, you know, you've got, you've got Pujols there on the right side. You've got Newt Bar there on the left side. You've, you know, you've got some weapons there. So, um, so I, 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 at a minimum, I see Newt Bar, you know, getting a lot of pinch hitting appearances and potentially getting a lot of pinch hitting appearances where he's in a real favorable matchup. So I think, I think we'll definitely see that out of him. And, and then it'll just be a question of, you know, with the kind of filling in here or there, or if there's an injury, you know, can he grow that into an even bigger role? Yeah, it's it, it when they signed Dickerson, a lot of folks, I, I think thought that they were, they were bumping Newt bar down a peg and and they might have been you know his uh his contact was not great last year uh in terms of quality um but but i just feel like they just wanted more flexibility throughout the game and then also uh if they sustain injuries like they did last year because you know that's the other thing ben is and and we only kind of touched on this during the draft you know, it's more likely than not one or both of Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill are going to land on the injured list this year. They they seem to have a knack for it, and oh, yeah. and uh, in particular uh, Bader's style of play. You know, he he may be unlikely to land on a baseball and break a rib again, but it's not hard to imagine him going all out for a ball and injuring himself in another way. Um, because he does just go all out, uh, and not just, uh, in the field also on the bases. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a real possibility that they're going to need to rely on Newt Barr. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the odds that Harrison Bader jams a finger sliding headfirst to the second base is significantly higher than the odds that Albert Pujols jams a finger sliding headfirst in the second base. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Uh, and that, that does bring us uh, to uh, another player that I wanted to ask you about is Albert Pujols. Obviously, uh, you know, he has put up some wins above replacement in his career. Um, but, you know, do you think he's going to get enough of an opportunity uh, to do so this year? And if he does get that opportunity, even, do you think he's still skilled enough uh, to put up positive numbers? Well, I think what, you know, again, if the if the Cardinals do it right, I think they will do, um, you know, pretty much exactly what the what the Dodgers did last year. And um, so I think that Albert Pujols can 
can be uh, you know a better than replacement level uh, player in those really limited situations, and that's primarily you know hitting against left-handed pitching. Um, you know, and and honestly, if he fills in at first base, I was a little surprised that his, you know, his his defense, um, it's not good, but it's not um, it's not as bad as I thought it might have been. You know, like he's it, it wouldn't be the end of the world if he, you know, he, he played a couple days of first base kind of for a goldie day off. So I guess what I'm saying is I could see him putting up positive wins above replacement if he's deployed in the most optimal ways. But the number of those uh, instances is so low that I, I don't think he'll amass much in the counting stat of wins above replacement. Yeah. And, you know, w- we have heard a, a lot of folks touting his performance with the Dodgers and I'm certainly not here uh, to, to badmouth it or trash it, but, you know, from 2017 to 2000 and through 2021 uh, with the Angels. He was worth a negative 3.6 wins above replacement. Okay. And then they cut him. And then he was worth three tenths, 0.3 wins above replacement with the Dodgers over 200 plate appearances, which for a bench player, you know, that's not terribly surprising um and so the idea that that they're getting any sort of game changer uh for the bench or for the offense you know i know he's in good shape uh i know he he did well for the dodgers last year um but you know this is a bench player who should play against lefties as you said ben only he doesn't He's not terrible with the glove, but he doesn't bring anything to the table there. Uh, he's a, a negative presence on the bases and has been, uh, frankly, since probably his last season in St. Louis, maybe his second to last season in St. Louis. I may be giving him too much credit. He may have been uh, bad uh, in the years leading up to his St. Louis departure. But so, you know, in terms of we're doing a wins above replacement draft, I just. I don't see the path for him to put up uh, much in terms of wins above replacement uh, with the Cardinals this year. I I think this is a signing that is as much or more about bringing him back into the fold as a Cardinal uh, for the DeWitts and then also to help the DeWitts make money because this is going to be a net positive for them in terms of a moneymaker. And I think it's as much about those things as it is about his ability to help the team on the field. And so we'll see what happens there. Well, yeah, I, I guess maybe I'm, when you frame it that way, I think I'm more positive on it than you are because I think in a vacuum and let's take Albert Pujols' name off, um, you know, they were at a point where, you know, yes, they could have, put Juan Yepes on this team as the, the right-handed half of a platoon. But I, you know, and I, and I, I know I said on the, the podcast too, I think, uh, you know, this team has consistently not built enough depth. And so it made sense to have some, you know, kind of, you know, veteran hitters there who, uh, you know, can, can fill in that and you still have a, a Yepes or whoever else, 
you know, can maybe push push for a spot and, and ultimately, you know, kind of get in there. And so to me, it would have made sense to sign any kind of veteran hitter for, uh, you know, again, like a, basically an end of the bench type position, you know, maybe playing on that rare kind of facing a lefty side of a DH platoon. Like if you just told me in a vacuum, they might acquire that kind of player. I would say, yes, that makes sense. And then when you add to that, and, and Albert Pujols is that kind of player. And then when you add to that fact that Albert Pujols is also Albert Pujols and you get all of the other value of that, um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I mean, obviously, we've talked about this a lot on a previous show. I, I, we both love it for the Cardinals and all that kind of stuff. But, but to me, it's, it's a solid enough baseball move, too. That Yeah, I don't expect him to produce a lot of value, but I think if he's deployed smartly, he'll still produce, uh, you know, some small positive value in that limited role. So um, should we, I feel like we've, we've spent a lot of time on hitters here. Should we, should we move on to the the pitching side? Yes. So last season, Ben and I also, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we tried to do a, a draft of uh, who we thought would get the most starts in the rotation. And uh, uh, Ben, we did not do a very good job of executing that draft last year. I went back and listened, and uh, we uh, uh, first of all, we both agreed that we thought Jack Flaherty was number one, so we took him off the board uh, to start. Um, and then uh, we each drafted two players, and then at that point, we just kind of started talking about guys, and uh, it sort of drifted from there. So it's a little hard to score last year's draft, but to the extent that we can score it, Ben. You you absolutely destroyed me. So you uh, you you had the first pick on that side, and you chose Adam Wainwright. Uh, I had the second pick, and I chose Carlos Martinez. Uh, you with the the next pick chose uh, KK uh, Kwang Young Kim, and then um, I tried to get cute. Do you remember who I chose with my last pick? I don't remember who your last pick was. Uh, my last pick was Alex Reyes. Because at the time, uh, you know, he had looked uh, strong in spring training. I let myself be seduced by that. I knew they wanted him to have a role on the team. And I thought, you know what? By the end of the season, they're going to plug him into one of these back end of the rotation spots. So um, uh, you chose Wayno, who made 32 starts, and Kim, who made 21 starts. I chose Martinez, who made 16 starts, and Reyes, who made zero starts. So... Um, you were you were very much the winner in that draft, Ben. I feel like with the nature of starting pitching in Major League Baseball uh, in the 21st century, only drafting four pitchers was a terrible way for us to... <laughs> I, I feel like each of us should have to, uh, you know, draft like four or five so we can have a little bit more fun with, you know, who who down on the farm gets called up. You know. Agreed. And, and I also just, you know, choosing who's going to get the most starts, it reminds me of years ago when I played fantasy football, which I don't really do anymore. And part of the reason I don't is to me, I felt like drafting a fantasy football team was basically like rolling dice for like, who's going to get hurt. Cause like, they're all going to get hurt, you know? So <laughs> yes. they'd, be like, they'd be like, here's the top five running backs. You know, who's going to finish first. The only one of them who doesn't get hurt. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so, but with that in mind and kind of along the lines that Ben suggested here, I think what we're going to do this year is and rather than kind of a, a back and forth draft, we're each going to uh, select our top five. 
So these are the five starters who we think at the end of the season will have had the most starts. And so I did go back and look to see last year who were the five Cardinals who, um, you know, who had the most starts. And, uh, and they were uh, Adam Wainwright. No one's going to be surprised by that. 32 starts. Uh, ben, do you want to guess who's number two? Uh, number two in starts for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, man, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I don't think I would have guessed this, and that's why I threw it at you without telling I, I think, um, gosh, I'm going to, I'm, I think I'm just going to go with Kim. You're absolutely right. Kim was number two with uh, 21 starts. Number three, uh, Carlos Martinez with 16. Okay, no. he he was I in my mind just for full transparency I was trying to choose between him and Carlos and I was like I think Carlos hit the injured list before right uh before Kim did so I'm going to go with Kim. Right. Well, he and, and Carlos also hit the shit list and the injured list. And so um he he had he hit a couple lists last year. So Carlos was number 3, number 4 Jack Flaherty with 15 starts. And number five, Ben, do you know who had the, the fifth most starts last year? Uh, since you're asking me, it has to be John Gant. <laughs> it was John Gant with 14. So uh, first of all, that sucks. Oh, my God, that sucks. Thank God they won 20. Was it 21 or 22 games they won? I forgot now. How many games uh, did they win that streak? I thought it was. Or maybe it was. Wasn't it 17? You're right. It was 17. It was 17. I was thinking of that A's streak as a, as a uh, memorialized in a Moneyball, the movie. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and I think interestingly enough, you know, none of those, you know, John Lester and friends who they acquired at the end of the season to stabilize things, you know, that was so late that none of them amassed as many starts as, you know, Gant and Martinez who were kind of part of the, you know, early season disaster rotation. So, um, so with that in mind, <laughs> Ben, do you want to, do you want to go first? Who do you, who would be your, your top five for this season? Oh, I'm, are we're going every other one? Or are we doing, uh, Oh, I thought we were going to each list like this is, you know, this is our top five. So, you know, we could, Oh, go I'm sorry. I misunderstood what we were doing. Uh, so well, I that's, apologize for that. Well, we could do it. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go first just doing this. And, and I'm only, so if you'll, if you'll indulge me and do it and do it this way, we must have miscommunicated it. So we'll have some overlap here, but I, uh, the, the, to me, so my, the five that I'm going to go with are Adam Wainwright, Stephen Matz, Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, and Connor Thomas. That's going to be my, that's going to be my five right there. So, uh, you know, Wainwright obviously is a horse. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, he's quite old and he, you know, has for the last, you know, several years of his career, it would often be kind of a good season followed by an injured season. So rolling the dice there, but I feel like with his track record, you have to put him up there. You know, Matt's also brought in to be an innings guy and a guy who has put up those innings, um, and, and honestly, that gets at just another point that I kind of wanted to throw out there. I don't think we talk about enough, which is that, you know, the ability to throw 175 plus innings is really its own skill. And 
not many pitchers have that skill. And even once a pitcher shows that skill, um, it, it can go away at any point in time. And, you know, I think we see this a lot with prospects. You know, we have a lot of guys who we call starting pitching prospects because, uh, you know, they have, they have really good stuff. You know, they have multiple pitches. Um, but the thing is, no, one, no pitcher does that kind of workload until they reach the major leagues. And so until a pitcher reaches the major leagues and actually, you know, puts up that high innings workload, you literally don't know if they can do it. And so, um, and I think that's really the core reason why we have that, you know, longstanding truism that there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, right? Because you don't know if they can do it until they can do it. And then unfortunately, you know, even once a guy does it, uh, they can reach a point where they can't do it anymore. And frankly, that's a little bit where I think a question mark is with Jack Flaherty now, you know, Jack Flaherty showed that he could do it, but he's, you know, he's had a couple seasons of kind of injury now. And, and we certainly see a lot of guys that, you know, they can't maintain that going on. So, so, um, and the same is true for Miles Michaelis as well. Again, a guy who's done it, but a guy who struggled to do it lately. So that's why I had Michaelis and Flaherty kind of in that like third and fourth slot. And then, you know, Connor Thomas is the, the one prospect pick that I put in there. Um, and he's just a guy who I think profiles really well as a starter, is the type of pitcher who they went out and acquired last year. So even though he's not going to start the season with the major league team or in the rotation, I feel like he will get an I, I think he should and hopefully will get an early shot. And once he has a shot, I, I see him sticking around. So so that's uh, that's my five, Ben. I don't know. What do you think? I, you know, I, I think that's those are some pretty good picks. Um, you know, it is very tough because they have so many pitchers. You know, Miles Michaelis obviously has a health question uh, coming into this season. Jack Flaherty is on the injured list right now. Who knows when he will return? Um, and then Dakota Hudson is is coming back off of injury, and Jordan Hicks, who's been floated as a possibility for the number five starter. And you know, you're talking about throwing 175 innings, um, but even Adam Wainwright, I mean, he's up there in age, and I hate to say this, but he seems about due for an injury. You know, mm-hmm. he came up as the closer in '06. Uh, then started in 07, had the, I believe, the pulley tendon injury in his hand in 08, was great in 09, great in 2010, then uh, needed Tommy John and lost his 2011 season. And so it, you know, then he, he threw for a couple seasons and tore his Achilles and, you know, battled through injury and ineffectiveness. And it just kind of feels like we're about due for something with him. And so, I mean, I'm not even terribly confident in Adam Wainwright. And then Stephen Matz earlier in his career uh, has had injury uh, issues. And so, you know, when we were we were talking about last season, you know, the Cardinals had two pitchers make over 20 starts, as you said, Ben, and only one make over 30. Yeah. And uh, now we're coming off of the abbreviated spring training. So it's, it's very difficult uh, – obviously to foresee the future, but you know, if, if you were going to bet on someone to have the most starts, it's gotta be Adam Wainwright. Um, and so I, I think your, your number one pick was correct there. Um, 
you know, Dakota Hudson was rum making some noise about potentially uh, helping out down the stretch last year. So I feel like he's had a full and normal uh, winter as far as we know, you know, he didn't show up in camp with issues like Flaherty that he couldn't talk to the team about because of the owner's lockout. And so I, I think I would put him in my five. Uh, Cause I feel like, you know, he's a sinker baller. Uh, he is inefficient. Um, but I still think, you know, they're going to slot him into the fourth spot. So he's now bumped up in the rotation uh, and so I think he's he's likely uh, to be in the top five. Um, I think Matt's is as well. Uh, I, I like that pick from you. Uh, Michaelis, he sure looks healthy. He sounds like he feels good uh, based on what uh, he has said in the media. Um, but you know, that's a big question mark there with him as well. I, I almost feel like, like I would have Jake Woodford or Verhagen, uh, in over Michaelis. Um, and, uh, then I think I would also have, uh, Liberator, uh, in there over Connor Thomas, even though I'm a big, uh, Connor Thomas fan. Cause I think, what the abbreviated spring training has showed us is that the Cardinals, you know, they view Liberator as you said, as a Fabergé egg. So he's going to start as soon as they have that immediate need and they feel comfortable having him go. And so I think this is the year that happens. And I think once it happens, he's going to be in the rotation, kind of like Hudson. Hudson broke camp in the rotation, but you know, like he was coming up and they just kind of cleared the decks and said, this kid's in the rotation. And uh, I think they're going to do that for, for Liberator next spring, if he doesn't get the opportunity due to injury this season, but it sure wouldn't surprise me if, if he gets that opportunity this year because of injuries. So I'm going to, I would include him in my top five. All right. So Ben, I've got you with Wayno Hudson, Matt's Liberator. You talked about both Michaelis and Woodford, I think. Who's your, which one? I, I'm, I'm going to go with Jake Woodford because uh, it will allow me to use the picture of him with his mouth agape uh, <laughs> after Nick Castellanos, uh, you know, dominated him at home plate um, yeah. uh, for an extended period of time. Well, and I, I think you made a great point about Liberator being uh, clearly being the Fabergé egg compared to Connor Thomas. And um, although it's, it's for that same reason that I'm going with Connor Thomas, because I think that Liberator, you know, if, if early in the season, you know, Mats or Michaelis or whoever, you know, somebody's going to need to go on like the, you know, uh, 15 day DL or something, but you know, nothing serious. Like they're probably just, you know, they're going to be coming back. I think Connor Thomas is more likely to get the call. I think they're going to wait to bring Liberator up until, you know, they feel like he's going to be cemented in there. I feel like Thomas is a guy who they would be more willing to kind of like go up and down with. So I'm just betting on that, meaning that that Thomas gets a call earlier and, and potentially has more opportunity, but it could certainly break either way. Yeah. I, you know, 
that is a very good point. It, in a way, the uh, it it kind of feels almost like a similar dynamic. But Mike Matheny is not the manager to like Joe Kelly and uh, Carlos Martinez, where it's like, <laughs> you yeah. know, looking at stuff, it feels like Carlos Martinez is the guy who's going to be in the rotation. Uh, but then Kelly. Uh, got the opportunity first and kind of ran with it. And and Connor Thomas, I think his profile really works in Bush Stadium. And I think he has a better understanding and is more comfortable with his repertoire and who he is as a pitcher right now yeah. uh, than Libertor. And so, you know, if that is how you feel about yourself and and you feel comfortable going out there and doing what you do you know there's really something to be said for that and i would really love to see him get an opportunity uh to show what he has in the majors this year yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so all right well we'll uh we'll revisit our uh our starting uh pitching predictions along with our, our war predictions. We'll try to do that at the end of this season this year. We won't wait all the way until uh, the beginning of next season. But uh, Ben, I think that brings us to our, our season predictions. And uh, we, uh, you know, I think the traditional way to do this is to, um, you know, pick a win total. But uh, you and I thought we'd do something a little bit different this year. And we thought we would, uh, we would choose a narrative for the season. So we each wrote up a kind of description of how we expect the season to unfold and we sent it to each other. We have neither one of us has read these before and we're going to have to read each other's uh, each other's narratives here. So, uh, Ben, do you want to go first or do you want, would you like me to read yours first? Uh, I, I can read yours first. I have yours up and I am ready to go. All right. Let's, let's hear my a hundred percent accurate prediction for how, the St. Louis Cardinals 2022 season is going to go. All right. Here is Ben Godar's prediction for the 2022 season uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. The 2022 St. Louis Cardinals will feature an excellent defense, a much improved offense, a strong bullpen, and a dumpster fire of a starting rotation. The offense will be improved thanks to some small additions, better lineup management, steps forward from young outfielders, and universal buy-in to Jeff Albert's philosophy and techniques. The team is relying on hubris for a starting rotation this season and banking on the fact they can again find the kind of scrap heap, pitch-to-ground ball, contact journeyman they found uh, with success, or they found success with last season. The baseball gods will smite them for their hubris early in the season. Half of their starters will fail miserably, but a lights-out bullpen and much-improved offense will keep them around 500. Later in the season, much later than fans would like, the team will acquire the same type of thrift store pickups as they did last year, a few of whom will click and finally solidify the starting rotation. It's impossible to say who those players would be now, except they won't have a profile like John Gant, a fine human being who I have the utmost respect for. There is also an outside chance for a bigger splash trade deadline move similar to the Alan Craig John Lackey deal. With several high-end hitters pushing their way into the majors and displacing others, the pieces are there should they choose to pursue a bigger move for a playoff push and Yadi Wayno Pujols farewell season. 
Ultimately, the team will win 88 to 92 games and secure one of the 27 playoff spots. There it is, man. That sounds just as hundred percent accurate as it did when I wrote it. Uh, ben, why don't I read yours? And I'm, I'm interested to see where we, uh, where we overlap and where we differ. So this is uh, Ben Humphrey's prediction for the 2022 season. The Milwaukee Brewers will win the NL Central. They were better than the St. Louis Cardinals last year. The Cards brass responded by making as few improvements as possible to a roster with obvious holes. So the, Bre- the Brewers are still better in 2022. The Redbirds will be an also-ran because they've built to, they're built to be an also-ran. Bill DeWitt Jr. and his underlings call this competitive, a word stripped of meaning in Major League Baseball after two postseason expansions since St. Louis last won a World Series. This is DeWallet Ball, our new reality. If the Cardinals played every NL team an equal amount of times, they might have an 85-win team. Competitive enough to be in the postseason picture, playing meaningful baseball long enough to fill the wallet to the brim after two seasons of COVID-sabotaged revenues. But the Cardinals aren't playing a balanced schedule. The last season of a truly unbalanced schedule will help juice their win total. The Cards will be fortunate to play so many games against the hapless Pirates and stripped-down Reds. The Cubs won't be very good either. The state of the division makes an 85-win campaign a failure, no matter how, uh, how one tries to spin it. Rather than aggressively pursue upper echelon talent by trade or in free agency, the Cards aggressively pursued a nostalgia tour, reuniting Albert Pujols with his longtime friends and former teammates, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, for a farewell tour in which one projects to be average-ish and two project to be well below, even assuming rookie manager Ali Marmol has the wherewithal to play his business associate and spring training landlord only against lefties. The warm fuzzies will make April fun and probably September too, but what about the dog days in between? This is not to slam Steven Matz, who was just fine, but the Cards lived through a season without Jack Flaherty for the final months, and despite questions swirling about their uh, putative ace's throwing shoulder, they signed a perfectly fine third or fourth starter type instead of pursuing someone who might help provide elite innings, someone like Marcus Stroman. The front office's lesson from 2021 was to be more aggressive in acquiring John Lester and J.A. Happ types in March so they don't have to scramble to get them in the summer. And so the team is about as well positioned in the starting rotation to overtake the Brewers as they were last August. Nonetheless, they will be competitive in the way a club can be competitive when there are six postseason berths to be had. For these reasons, John Moseliak and his minions, middling Redbirds, will be in the hunt for 90 wins if things go more or less their way. Competitive in the expanded postseason sense and enragingly frustrating in the social media sense. The 2022 Cardinals will be something like meh or fine, barely qualifying as good, a crowning achievement of DeWallet Ball. Uh, ben, I feel like we have pretty, our, our proje- predictions I think are pretty much in line. What do you think? Yes, uh, I think they are. I think um, we both feel that pitching is going to prevent them from taking that next step. I, I think that would be fair, right? Like they're going to be, yeah. you know, they're going to need the Brewers to sustain, you know, multiple pitching injuries to, to win the central. I think, do, do you think that's fair? Well, I, I, I'm not as overwhelmingly sure that the Brewers are the better team as you are, but that's because 
I, th- I have serious questions about the Brewers' offense. Um, uh, the Brewers' pitching is superlative for sure. But, I, you know, there's just, you know, their offense, it's like, is Christian Yelich still a good player? You know, what's, what's a rowdy Telez, you know? Like, <laughs> um, Willie Adamas, you know, had like a really amazingly good season for them last year, but seemed like possibly an aberration. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I could, I, I mean, I could see the Brewers being a 95 to 100 win game, you know, team. But I, I, I don't know. I, I see, um, I see a lot of issues on, on the offensive side of the ball for them. Oh, I think you're right. Uh, it kind of concerns me that McGuire was uh, working with Yelich in the offseason uh, a little bit. And so or I think I read that in The Athletic. Um, and so so that worries me because I think he's a very good hitting instructor. Um, but I just I feel like when you're pitching – their rotation is so good, right. and then the back end of that bullpen is so good. You know, if they can score, it in a way it kind of reminds me of the 2001 Diamondbacks. Obviously, they don't have like a Randy Johnson, 2001 Randy Johnson, right, uh, or Kurt Schilling, but they have excellent starting pitchers, and one of them uh, could have a season. Uh, like that, if, if you know what yeah. I mean. They're they're not as good as Randy Johnson, but they could have a season that makes you think of Randy Johnson. And so, uh, you know, if if they're in a position where you know scoring like say four runs gives them a pretty good shot to win most nights, and if they can get those four runs and have a lead, the back end of that bullpen is not going to give up many of those leads. And so. I feel like that combination allows them to be a little underwhelming on offense and still be an excellent ball club, you know, a, a little bit like uh, maybe like this is not a perfect comparison, but like the 2015 Cardinals run suppression was their game and they were able to ride that into the, you know, the division crown. Yeah. And so that, that seems yeah. to be, to be their formula. And I, I think they'll probably be pretty successful executing it. I, I, I honestly, to me, if, if you ask me who was going to win more games, the Brewers or the Cardinals, and I know most projection systems do predict the Brewers ahead, but I, I'd put it at a dead heat. I really would. I think the Brewers, off, uh, you know, starting pitching is, is, you know, clearly better. And obviously the back end of their bullpen is very good as well. So just overall their pitching is better. But again, I just, I have a lot of questions about their offense and you look at what they did this off season. I mean, what, I mean, what was their big move, you know, bringing in Andrew McCutcheon to be a part-time DH, you know, I mean, that's, that's in line with the kind of stuff the Cardinals did. So, um, you know, I just, I, I couldn't, I feel like I couldn't pick one that I felt, you know, really confident was gonna, um, you know, surge over the other. And, and, you know, you put it pretty well, I think in your projection, um, what they both have going for them is that, you know, the rest of this division should be garbage. So um, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, whichever, yes. whichever one of them doesn't win the division should bank so many wins in the unbalanced schedule that they, you know, they should qualify for one of the, the nine wild card spots. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard to imagine a world where, uh, both the Brewers and, and Cardinals are not playing in the postseason. 
right? Yeah. Like, right. you know, when you're, when you have three doormats in the division yeah. um, and, you know, whether or not the Cubs qualify as a doormat, you know, who knows, but yeah, the Cubs, the Cubs, it's like they were tanking. And then like at a certain point they decided to like slightly pull out of the tank, but like, it still looks pretty bad. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like what do they think their window is and who do they think their farm system is delivering to them? Yeah. Like if if you're, and I will say credit to them, you know, in, in one way in that, you know, a team with that much money to not completely tank, you know what I mean? To, even if they're kind of looking at this as more or less a, not a window moment for them, you know, to still at least add some, you know, some, some quality and, and improve in a couple places, you know, more, more teams should do that. Oh, I agree. But, you know, they have so much money, like, yeah. You know, when Stroman was tweeting at Correa, I was just like, man, that makes so much sense. It hurts. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to think about that. And who knows? Right. They might circle back around after he opts out. But, you know, it felt like if they're going to do this, they need to do it. And they're right. kind of straddling between the boat and the dock now. And I think they're going to fall yeah. in the water, you know, by yeah. the end of the season and just not be very good. No, but but they look much more like they'll be kind of middling as opposed to the the Reds and the Pirates who just look like they'll be disasters. Yeah, very um, true. Very true. So, all righty. Well, interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I guess our our predictions were really fairly close, so I suppose either we'll both be right or we'll both be wrong. <laughs> and and I really hope that uh, we are wrong. Uh and yeah. and in a good way. Right. Uh, because I, I really mean it. If, if the team is around 85 wins, you know, it's with this division that that is just completely unacceptable and, and terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, um, I, yeah, I think we always hope that they, you know, we always hope for better. And even when we're down on a move or a player or something, you know, we, we always hope for the best because we are uh, very much fans. Um, ben, I think we're kind of uh, coming to the uh, the end of our, our season preview here. Um, but as we do throughout the season, and especially since the season's about to start, uh, I thought it would be good to talk about uh, what are we going to be watching for in these uh, first game and first kind of early games of the season? Um, I, I think the big thing to watch for is how Marmol uses the designated hitter spot in the lineup. Um, You know, we're going to get a pretty clear picture early on uh, as to whether or not everything they said about, you know, we're going to be smart with how we're doing things. We're going to play matchups. We're going to play platoon splits. You know, we're signing him, but not to be the full-time DH. You know, we want him to mentor. Well, we've already seen that the person that they ostensibly wanted him to mentor, Yepes, is going to be in Memphis. So a little bit harder for him to be a mentee when he's not even at the same level of professional baseball or in the same city. (laughs) And and so you kind of see maybe a little bit of momentum gathering for this to just be Ali Marmol 
uh, plays as friend and business partner um, <laughs> a lot. And so I'm very intrigued to see how many plate appearances Albert Pujols gets early on as a designated hitter. Well, it's interesting, Ben. Uh, we, we, first of all, we agree too much on this show. I think we really, um, if, if we've learned nothing else in the last year, I think that's true. Because under what will you be watching for on my notes here, I wrote Ali Marmol moves. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, in addition to what you mentioned with a designated hitter, I think specifically I'm going to be watching for um, a couple other things. Number one is his starter usage and how often he goes to the bullpen. Um, I, I feel like Schilt was actually pretty good at using his, like once he was into his bullpen, I think Schilt made pr- pretty good, pretty defensible choices about how he de- deployed his relievers. Towards the end of the season, he got kind of locked into Alex Reyes as my closer when Alex Reyes didn't deserve to be that. But still, overall, I- I'd give Schilt a plus grade on his bullpen usage. But I think Schilt was still pretty old-fashioned in terms of you know, wanting his starters to go too far into the game, etc., Marmol, although, you know, he gave a quote at one point saying, you know, I I want five starters, you know, he, you know, five set starters going into the season. In in more recent interviews, he has talked more about, you know, piggybacks, openers, all these kind of things. So, um, you know, regardless, I'm interested to see, you know, how does he use those starting pitchers, um, especially, uh, you know, coming off of, uh, the abbreviated spring to when, you know, guys potentially are not as quite as stretched out as they could be. I'll be watching that. And I'm, I'm also interested to see how he plays those matchups in the late innings and deploys some of those weapons that I think he has on the bench right now. And I think, you know, that coupled with what you said about the DH overall to me, and let's be honest, the biggest offseason move the Cardinals made was Schilt out and Marmol in. I think that's the biggest change we're going to see in this team. And so um, I think you and I both believe that, frankly, a manager does not make that much of a difference. But I do think that good managing can maybe steal you two to three wins over the course of an entire season, just consistently making you know the, the smartest move you can. So I'm just really interested to see, is Marmol going to, going to do that? Yeah, I I think that's going to be really interesting uh, to see as well uh, how different from Schilt uh, Marmol is with his in-game maneuvers. It's it's going to be, uh, I think, the biggest wild card for this team because, as you said, the the team is not that different, and so they seem to be yeah, putting yeah. Uh, value in the idea that Marmol is going to be able to get more out of this team than Schilt did. Yeah. You know, and I'm honestly, I'm optimistic that he is, or at the very least that he is going to execute the the plan that the front office has in place, because if he doesn't, I think in July, Skip Schumacher will be the manager of this team. I think they've just, you know, they have made it abundantly clear that, you know, the, the field manager is much more of a middle manager position and they're there to, you know, execute this philosophy that this entire front office and many, many smart people have, you know, have laid out. And so, um, you know, 
if Marmol isn't doing that, I don't think they're going to give him, you know, five years or whatever that, you know, they gave uh, Matheny. Um, so I, I, I'm optimistic to see that, you know, again, whether that philosophy is always the right philosophy or whether that will be successful, I don't know. But I think we're going to see Marmol execute that philosophy. Yeah, I, I hope that you're right, because I I feel like the front office made a lot of allusions to that. And so, you know, I'm pretty interested to see what form it takes. Uh, and in particular with the fifth starter, I mean, is it going to be a de facto piggyback? Is he going to try yeah. to use that uh, in April despite having additional pitchers uh, like more of a traditional fifth starter? Is he going to go to the bullpen early and kind of play matchups? I, I think that's going to be the first test because yeah. I think that's what the front office wants him to do, at least in April. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Ben, as we wrap things up here, and I'm sure people are going to be immersed in all kinds of preparations for opening day as they listen to this, but if they're looking for a little something else baseball-related, uh, or not even necessarily baseball-related, I guess it doesn't have to be, uh, do you have an off-day recommendation for folks? Um, yes, if you have not already uh, read the article that uh, Derek Gould wrote on uh, Paul Goldschmidt's new bat, uh, he went and got, uh, he did testing and got basically a bat designed for him and his swing. Uh, and it is a very interesting article. And in a way, it's it's like an unofficial sequel to some of the work uh, that Eno uh, Saris at The Athletic has done on bat quality and how, uh, you know, it is very uneven for professional hitters. And uh, so hearing that Goldschmidt went and got fitted and now, you know, has his own custom bat, uh, I thought that was a really interesting article. I thought it was well done. And I would encourage folks to read it before opening day. Awesome. That's a very good suggestion. I have a very good suggestion as well. Um, I think probably a lot of people saw about a week ago, uh, The Athletic uh, post uh, published an article called The Harry Carey Rules. And it was um, just kind of remembrances from a number of people, basically about what it was like to go out and drink and party with Harry Carey. Um, I'm not going to recommend that article, although that, that is a very interesting read as well. Instead, I'm going to recommend uh, uh, an article from uh, Sports Illustrated from 1968 entitled When Harry Carey Was a Rebel with a Microphone by uh, Myron Cope. And uh, it was uh, it was reprinted a, a few years ago by Deadspin. So it's, it's a little easier to find online there. But um, this was... In a lot of ways, it's the same article as the athletic article, but it was written, um, you know, in in his time, in Harry Carey's time. And, uh, you know, 1968 was the, you know, Harry Carey was kind of at the height of his powers at the very end of his tenure with the, the Cardinals, which would end in 1969. And I just can't recommend it enough because it's just batshit insane and uh, so enjoyable to read. Uh, you know, in a variety of ways, uh, it, it it covers kind of his 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 whole life and career up until that point. There's so many just interesting points in it. One of the one of the great tidbits is, uh, you know, when he started his broadcast career, 
in the early 1940s, the station he was at, they did away games off the ticker where, you know, they, they weren't there. They were just, you know, getting like basically the, the line score kind of coming into them in the office. And most of the people who did this would just, you know, you know, you know, base hit, you know, just, just read it as it came in. But Harry Carey would embellish everything. He wouldn't make things up, but he talks about how, like, uh, if, if it just said, you know, like, a, you know, foul pop up to the catcher, you know, he would describe it as a mile high pop up and the catcher's leaning over the rail makes the catch. He would make everything as dramatic as possible. But of course, just like the athletic story, there's also just crazy stories about, you know, partying and like crazy social interactions. There's an anecdote about, uh, Harry Carey and his wife being at this like fancy dinner at Gussie Bush's house and Harry's wife overhearing this woman say something negative about Harry and like cha- challenging her to a fist fight, like in the middle of this dinner. I mean, it's, it's nuts. I highly recommend it. And we'll, uh, we'll link both of these in the, uh, in the description as well. So, um, Ben, I think that kind of brings us to the end. Anything else before we wrap up this, uh, supersized uh, season preview episode? Uh, no, I just want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, we hope that you have the opportunity to take in and enjoy opening day, which also happens to be the St. Louis Cardinals home opener uh, with it being uh, for sure. Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols's uh, last opening day and perhaps Adam Wainwright. Uh, I think it's going to be particularly fun this year, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys it. Absolutely, and and just to echo what Ben said, you know, it was you know pretty much exactly a year ago that we launched this podcast, and you know Ben and I had enjoyed writing about the Cardinals for years uh, at Viva Albertos, um, it, but it's just it's been so gratifying to to do this and have as many people you know come and listen as listen and have people interact with us, you know, send us emails, send us tweets on social media, um, just really means a lot to us that folks are out there enjoying the show, and that's why we're going to keep doing it this year. So we will be with you uh, every uh, every off day um, plan on uh, having us pop up in your feed and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you see you soon so enjoy opening day thanks everybody go, go